India's surely the work and the aesthetics and the kind of uh, introspection should be different than in New York because the issues here are very different. So why is the work looking the same? Hi, you're listening to Design This Way and I'm Kaval Obroy. Today I have with me Ishan Khosla. Ishan is a graphic designer based out of New Delhi. Well, the title graphic designer does not describe what Ishan really does. And I don't think there's a single title that perfectly sums up his entire body of work. He's a part designer and part cultural anthropologist. He believes that all Indians are designers by instinct. And he calls this behavior the Jugaad aesthetic. What I personally like about him is his irreverence towards ongoing design trends and his appreciation for Desi design ethos. On this episode, we talk about his journey as a designer and his opinion about design in India. He also shares the insights he gathered while working on many design projects and the experience of running his own design studio. Today's episode has been designed this way and without further ado, I present Ishan Khosla. Thank you, Kaval, for having me uh, on the podcast. I'm excited to answer your questions and uh, also I believe you have some questions from your user base, listener base, so I'd be very interested to hear those and answer to the best of my ability. Definitely. We'll come to that on the second half of the podcast. So we'll first of all, let's talk about this point in your life where you were studying to become a computer scientist and you developed a cyst in a part of your brain and you almost you were almost going to lose your mm. vision yeah so yeah i was studying in the us i was 22 years old and uh, suddenly uh, i mean in a nutshell suddenly after one flight my vision became very blurred like just one flight i took and then this thing happened and then i had really bad headaches and stuff and uh, i was misdiagnosed for a couple of weeks but in those two weeks, my eyesight kept getting worse and worse. And actually, I was legally blind. I could not read the blackboard. I could not check emails. Uh, it became really bad. And uh, uh, basically, after those two weeks, uh, I got diagnosed by a Japanese-American doctor. And they figured out that there's a cyst. They did some scans and all. There's a cyst in the, on the pituitary gland. And that was putting, pu- putting pressure on optic nerves, this cyst. It was pushing it, which is why basically I was half blind from outside. Both, like if you take a semicircle, half, half. And uh, then uh, I had surgery, post-operation, of course, most of the eyesight came back. There was some nerve damage still in the left eye. It's not totally 100%. Right eye is with glasses, I'm fine. And overall, touch wood, eyesight is better. And over it improved over two years, two, two, three years after that. But you know, this incident really changed my perception on life and what I wanted to do. Uh, Because there was always a threat, even though it was very minor, they said it was a 2% chance that I could lose my vision forever. Um, So there was this fear and also then I didn't have vision for two weeks, proper vision. So then I said, you know, I want to get into something that is visual. I don't want to do computers anymore. That was like a turning point in my life. So I got into, I was already in a liberal arts college, which means in the US, uh, what a liberal arts college allows you to do is to take courses outside your field of study. So outside computers, I was already doing photography, I was doing figure drawing, I was doing uh, digital imaging. So I was already doing some visual, but then I thought I want to just do that. So I got in, I actually initially I got into photography. Okay. And then over time, I took up graphic design. But basically, it changed the course of where I was uh, headed. And uh, but how did you decide to take graphic design as a as a medium? Yeah, so that was quite random, to be honest. So I, uh, my mother was actually creative director Ogilvy, and uh, I had also met David Ogilvy as a kid when I thought about advertising. I'd come to India in 2000 December, and I did some freelance projects through my mother. I got some work, and otherwise also. 
and uh, freelance advertising, graphic design, and it was quite interesting. And then I decided to go back for studies in the U.S. But I was at that time I was still very interested in photography. I was interested in animation, and I was interested in graphic design. So I actually applied to many colleges, and I eventually did one year at Art Institute of Chicago, okay. bachelor's degree. Right. I did a one year uh, course there. There, what is great is that it is totally open. That is the nice thing about the education system in U.S. In some colleges, it you can be a. So I was in the animation program, but I was actually doing graphic design. I was doing photography, and then I because I did all these courses. You know, only once you start studying and actually applying yourself, you get interested in uh, certain fields. So when I did graphic design, I thought it was much more deeper for me than photography because photography is about the image and it's very abstract in the sense that it's open to interpretation of the viewer. But in graphic design, you have the power to use words and images together. So there's a lot of power and uh, you know, uh, which I thought is interesting from a storytelling perspective and communication perspective. Right. So eventually, I got into graphic design because of the layering. It has a lot of layers. To it, and you can play with that layering. The balance between, if you want very strong images and very little text, or a very strong text, or you know, and and lighter images, or text as image, image as text. <laughs> you and you have full play, control over. You have full control, yeah. and and from the beginning, I was very interested in writing also. So it's not just oh. the design and layout part, but also writing the text. Right. And that college emphasized that they. And so after Art Institute, I'm just jumping ahead because I went to I did my masters uh, at School of Visual Arts in New York, and their program was called Designer as Author. Okay. So, so they emphasize this aspect that as a designer you must be an author. That means you must be a writer, you must be a creator. So it's not just like a designer who's a passive person who's taking content that already exists, mm -hmm. and you do layout or you do some sort of design. But here they're saying that no. You should write. You should create content. You should create your photographs. You should create your illustration. You should create your writing, yeah. and then design. So it's like authorship, complete authorship of the image, of the final communication. And that actually, that influence can be seen in the, your work as well. Yeah, I would say for sure that program influenced uh, me greatly after coming to India. So looking back at the kind of projects you were creating while being at School of Visual Arts, did your work had the flair of Indian aesthetics? That we associate with Ishan Kosla. Oh, that's a very interesting question. Um, I would say initially no, actually, uh, because you know I was uh, I spent my entire adult life in the U.S. except for that one and a half years in between I'd come to India at that stage, till I moved back to India in 2008. So when I was in SVA, uh, I think I was very influenced by design that I saw in America and in the West. So I would say initially no. Initially, the projects I did was uh, not Indian, India influenced. Mm -hmm. But but your MFA uh, thesis yeah. was quite interesting. That you you had planned to create a new design school in India called DC. Yeah. Right? And uh, in that project, uh, you write extensively about the need of new design school in India because the schools that existed back then didn't create enough designers to serve the need of the nation. And but do you feel that in uh, that was I mean in that project uh, you also wanted to propose things that were lacking in the curriculum in India and so on? Yeah. So um, I think that was uh, what was great about the thesis project is they told us so Steve Heller and Lita Talarico were our department heads and uh, uh, what they told us is that you, you you have total open like total freedom to do anything you want in your thesis project. So I thought that what would be one thing like I always thought that at some point I would come back to India. I didn't know when, but I thought that you know like the thesis is a, is a good good uh, excuse to look at India. So I started thinking about India. Then I thought about myself. Why did I come to America for for to study design? Right? Uh, why did I not do it in India? Then I you know I started thinking about a design program. What is lacking in Indian design? You know, at that stage in 2004, that's when the thesis program was starting. Um, and then the idea came that okay, you know, I'm in a design college right now. So I always like this idea, which is a computer. It's coming from computer science. It's called recursion. So recursion is like it's like a loop. So you're basically looking inside yourself constantly. Like that's known as a recursive loop. So I thought I'm inside a design college right now. What if I examine what goes into making a design college while I'm inside this design college? 
and in India because I am from India and eventually I'll go there and and so I'll I'll try to understand from being here in New York what would be an ideal ideal in quotes design program in India or what is lacking basically questioning what is lacking and what should be brought into design education in India that's how it started and obviously if you're doing a design pro if you're looking at design education in India you have to look at India you have to start thinking about what makes what is indian aesthetics big questions like that what is indian design is there such a thing like indian design right you know uh, it's such a big country it's so diverse north to south east to west different languages different cultures different various things but there must be something that binds us all together so what is that thing can a design college answer those things and then i also started looking at various practical things like degrees at that time none of the design colleges in india had degrees were offering degrees for design and i thought that was a big uh, factor that this design college should offer mm-hmm. uh, at least a degree to the students and then also the idea of egalitarianism so design typically tends to be very rich like middle class to richer people can apply to design colleges because it's expensive can we have a system where poorer people people from villages are encouraged to apply and also get in uh, get accepted can we have some seats which are uh, you know like tuition wave for these kids so that we have a more uh, egalitarian dialogue between village and city and urban and rural rich and poor so for me diversity was very important on the beginning that you know india is a diverse country and so the college needs to be diverse in all sorts of ways men women religion income groups right and so that that, uh, that is india right that is one aspect of india you cannot take away its diversity so that became an important aspect for me okay and uh, you might have seen and analyzed uh, the education in us versus the education that was there mm, in india yeah, when it comes yeah. to design yes were there key factors that you found that were like totally different so one of the things i did is, as a process of my thesis was i actually applied to mm. about 15 to 20 of the best design colleges i thought around the world mm-hmm. so they, i got their prospectors i got their design program and actually i created like what i call a war room situation that means i took scissors and i cut out their curriculum and their vision mission statements and put it in my uh, apartment wall it was there for about 6 to 8 months all of these different programs ke things were stuck you know cal arts risd sva also from europe also you know like uh, uh, university of the Ar- of arts uh, rca etc etc uh you know basel school of design so various colleges i wanted to see what are they offering what is it that they're promising and what is their curriculum talking about like mm. what are the what are they really looking at right in the curriculum and i also felt that it is very important in a indian design context that uh four years is not enough um because usually the first year is foundation um also another thing is that in india in high school and school we don't really learn art or mm. design or there's no exposure actually in the west there is in the west kids are really exposed even if they're doing sciences or whatever right. they have some exposure to arts aesthetics they have museums they have institutions and then within 4 years you're expected to become a like a quite good at design not everyone does a masters degree so mm. most people are doing bachelors and starting off so that's why i thought it should be like a 4 plus 1 1 year is foundation and then you have 4 years on top of that so it's a 5 year program and then you actually don't need to do a masters um and so that was one of the things i thought on early on second thing i thought of was that um, this idea of design in the indian context so you know design as we know to india has come to india from the west it is it has in right, terms of term nid itself. term itself of course uh, although i don't i mean that's another dialogue i'll get into i mean i believe design predates the term design Mm-hmm. and it has been there in india probably yeah, longer we've been practicing it since long. Yeah, yeah like craft and lot of the things we do has a intrinsic design yeah. sense to it and a value to it although it's anonymous right. but i'm not getting into that i'm getting into the modern mm-hmm. 20th century definition of design that has come through the swiss and through like so armin hoffman rian charles eames mm-hmm. uh, you know all uh, through cabuzier through so nid was set up you know right and so it was all from a very international swiss style of design the nid was set up and post nid all the colleges that have come up most of them have followed that rubric they may say they are different from nid or whatever but overall they are teaching design in the same rubric and so it's a very modernist education system and um, 
if you look at western colleges a lot of them are breaking away from modernism themselves so right. one example is design academy idaho one which i was looking at at that point and since then i've had students come here as interns and i've been fortunate to visit that college few times i'm a big fan of their philosophy and how they look at design and so they question modernism head on and they're looking at various concepts they they change their program every few years you know and they look at various concepts which are very very contemporary like urbanism or you know various issues that are affecting us today so like in india we should be looking at that like so for instance in india when you talk about mobility people are still looking at car design but surely there should be something else beyond cars for mobility for a country like india one is the size of the country and then the repercussions about uh, car and pollution and right. all sorts of things and affordability why are we not looking at our own culture enough or like if you look at netherlands they're always looking at their own culture they're always looking at how they manage water because they are under most of the countries under water right it's it's a uh, under sea level so how, that's how design became such an important aspect it is about survival in that country right so uh, why are we not looking at how people survive on the streets of india you know like uh, the i wrote this article called unconscious design i won't get into it but basically looking at say the streets of mumbai and how people uh, survive on those streets they have like these different chairs you see just just say if you go walk in uh, any part of mumbai you will see people on footpaths they are selling things to you but their chairs are all handmade or they have been scavenged from materials that have been found and just tokoed and put together right. in a cheap and quick manner so they can sit down simple thing like that but you know the we are not we are ignoring these kind of things or we are ignoring what i call jugad aesthetic that means like how are people innovating or improvising just on the fly cheaply quickly and maybe it won't last for long so it, a lot of these things are on the margins of functionality the, this chair or this stool is just about functional it could break tomorrow because it's very kacha and put together right. cheaply but it's efficient oh. why is it efficient because you are not importing some materials from abroad and modularity and bringing it there factory made like in terms of shipping they are just picking up waste materials from the street and tokoing them putting them together and using them for as long as it lasts once it once it breaks down then they will do the same process again they are doing it to save money and to survive in a in a tough environment but it is also about efficiency in terms of resources and yeah, other and things it's eco friendly yeah it's eco friendly right? in a strange way yeah. okay so maybe not a comfortable chair it may not be ergonomic but so from a design point of view it may be a failure but 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 one has to look at systems thinking right mm. so what is the whole system telling you about design and i think this is something ironically my involvement has been more with western organizations like uh, drog design from netherlands we did a project in dharavi uh, we've done work with australians you know uh, rmit university so uh, that is kind of ironic i find it's very sad in a way but with indian organizations and colleges these kind of introspective projects have been very few and mm. people are very hesitant to do that if it's a branding course or a website course ui ux yes but if it's something about city urbanism or you know relationship of design like what we call design in a in a college versus design on the street that is also an interesting question to talk about design from the street perspective what do people on the street think of design these kind of things are people are still very shy to take on those sort of projects they want the more commercial aspects of design to be explored in india right 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 i have a long answer but yeah but <laughs> so after 3 years of your mfa you you started your own studio ishan kosla design no i started uh, so i did 2 years mfa then i did 3 years of uh, work in us and then i came back to india in 2008 did you ever dream about having your own studio someday actually to be honest no <laughs> <laughs> i'll be okay. very honest i never thought i would start my own studio so i came to india in 2008 thinking i'll get a job that was honestly that was uh, and i was very nervous about coming to india i was also very hesitant because i did not know about the design scene in india and i did not know ke wahan pe kaam kya milega what is the situation in india in design i was not very very aware of it because being away for some time um and actually i came back because my girlfriend at that time told me that i would do better in india than i'm doing in america because there's so many opportunities in india right. and she is the one who uh, tried to get me to start a studio but initially i came looking for a job and i did get some job opportunities also but i will not name any studios but i looked at the work that they were doing and to me it was not very exciting it was not 
it looked very similar to what I was seeing in New York, what studios mm. were trying to do. So I was like, yeah, you know, in India, surely the work and the aesthetics and the kind of uh, introspection should be different than in New York. Right. Because the issues here are very different. So why is the work looking the same? Mm. So that made me question that. And so then I thought, let me jump into it. I, uh, for me, it was a big risk starting out. It was not easy. But, you know, touch wood, now it's been 10 years. Right. We finished and 10 years in March. And uh, running a business is a different ball game altogether. Yeah. And how, how did you figure out all those things? I mean, <laughs> invoicing, contracts, hunting the clients. Yeah, so it, a lot of it is learning on the job, to be honest. Uh, some of it also at SVA, I was lucky they did teach us. Uh, we had a course on uh, managing business. You know, mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you do invoicing? How do you right. do uh, contracts? But of course, nothing can teach you till you actually start doing it, <laughs> you know, chasing clients, so no one can teach you that. Right. <laughs> but who was the first client of Ishan Kosla Design? First client? Right. Okay, that's very interesting. I think Random House actually, Random House Books. Uh -huh. So we, we did a lot of book covers when we started out. So, but book covers don't pay a lot of money, but we started out that it was fun project. It was that time, it was, when I started out, it was just me and then I think the first two months, I had an intern and then we grew from there. So, I mean, initial one year or two years was very short. But how did you get your small. first client? How did I get my first client? Um, I think it's through the website, actually. Okay, so they approached you. Yeah. So, we've been fairly lucky. Most clients have been, uh, they've come to us. We've not mm -hmm. gone to them. Sometimes it's also word of mouth. Some other clients have referred us, etc. But usually, we've been fairly lucky. We don't have to go hunting for work. How was the first year of having your own studio like? First year was, uh, it was very nice now that I think of it in some ways, but it was very <laughs> slow. It was small projects, no tension about money because I was very small, there were not that many overheads. Mm. So we could do a lot of chota, small projects like book covers and be happy. You know, we didn't have to pay a lot of bills. Mm. But then as the company grew, then you have to worry about uh, you know income generation and keeping sustaining the business yeah, even so that in, becomes challenging even in certain cases you don't get time to work hands-on on projects when it grows right uh, no I always try to be involved in every project in some way mm -hmm. I mean uh, some aspect it's not like I will not look at it at all so right. but yes I may not design the entire thing I may not design every project obviously we have employees they get lot of freedom to do their own work but inputs and all I always get involved in. So like the kind of work that you do at Ishan Kosla Design is quite unique I mean the time we see the work done by Ishan Kosla Design we know it's it's by them I mean it's by you guys. Is it? Yeah I mean that's there that's there. Okay. So I mean is it difficult finding clients who will gel with the kind of things you provide or I mean, hmm. because you are niche, or you have certain design ethos that, you know, clients who want that kind of work will only come to you. Ah, okay. That's a very difficult question to answer. <laughs> uh, but it's a very good question. Um, I don't know, like, so when you're saying that you can recognize Ishan Kozla Design's work, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Okay. It's a good thing that, okay, yes, work is recognizable. It's a bad thing from the point of view that I try to not have a style. Mm -hmm. That's one thing that is very important for me is that we treat each project in a unique manner. Like we try to work on it from scratch. We mm -hmm. try to not look at anything we've done Pele before that project. We try to just think of that client, what is appropriate to that client and their audience. So we, you know, we, we try to have a blank slate. Uh, but maybe, yeah, maybe we do have a style. I don't know. I, I can't tell. But if others can, then maybe there is a style. As far as why clients come to us, uh, that's what I have been told by clients because I also ask clients, you know, some clients that why do you, why did you choose us? Mm -hmm. What I've heard from them, now I don't know what people on the street or generally people think, um, is that what they like is that our work is uh, very authentic, it's very unique and it stands out. Um, so they like that aspect. Now I don't know not all of them talk about the Indian aspect, but they like the aspect that it, it is very uh, distinctive. Yeah, so they, they like that and, uh, um, and I think authenticity is one of the very important aspects to us. That it should be real, not fake, not made up, 
you know and that kind of thing is very important it's not superficial right it needs right. to be very real true to what the client is about right yeah so from your own experience um, what would you suggest somebody who wants to start their own studio somewhere so i would first suggest to them that they must work for few years before jumping in and starting your own studio of course you can do it right after graduation but it's nice to work in a studio for few years uh, or multiple studios whatever i would say at least 4 to 5 years of your of work ex before start jumping in because it's also a commitment it's easy to start a studio is difficult to run a studio <laughs> right studio starting mein kya hai bas website you just have to get a website you may need a intern or employee and you're done and uh, get a project getting projects is not very difficult nowadays because there's a lot of demand for design so that's not a challenge the challenge is to sustain the business to be interested in it to be passionate even though times get hard sometimes you're not getting money or whatever there are ups and downs in the business there are ups and downs in a project also you may think a project is amazing when you start but then after 5 months it's dragging on you're getting sick of it mm-hmm. how do you keep the interest in the field of design in such cases so um that would be my advice to anyone getting into it and your studio has done a lot of client work in the sphere of book cover design identity design publication and much much more so which is your favorite uh, project so far that's done for a client uh i can't say that because you know every project i mean i know this sounds very diplomatic but projects are like your kids you know like every project has a positive and uh, in, you know has a has a beauty to it has an has something nice about it i can suggest i can mention a handful of projects maybe if you want that um yeah, yeah? go ahead yeah. okay so one of the projects uh, i would definitely say then is the jhadu project Okay. so we did an exhibition it was called sweeping change mm-hmm. it was an exhibition on brooms uh you may have seen it coming up the studio yeah, yeah, yeah. so we have a collection of that we were commissioned by uh, rajiv sethi for that uh, asian heritage foundation in 2010 so we were asked to create a like an exhibition on brooms but also like look at the broom itself the meaning of it the users uh, the sellers the makers that sounds like a dream brief Yeah. Yeah, because I mean you don't get that kind of brief every day. No. And when I got that project I was very like I was like jhadu like broom who would think of a project on broom. Right. Uh but you know Rajiv Sethi is of course a well renowned you must have heard of him mm-hmm. designer he's done the Mumbai airport. So I mean very well respected. Mm-hmm. And so I lo- loved the concept of it. So we what we did was we created we found brooms from around the country. so i think uh, i don't know how many we've got about 50 or 60 brooms and he also has a collection but what was great about this project was it opened my eyes back in 2010 2 years after coming to india then my god you can take something as mundane as a broom and it opens up so many aspects about indian culture so we looked at uh, you know there are there's a goddess sheetla mata mm-hmm. who's associated with the broom and she basically gets rid of smallpox then there's of course lakshmi then there is so many aspects like there is gandhi ji uh-huh. gandhi ji yeah. he said that one of the three instruments of freedom is the broom that means dignity of labor you have to use the broom yourself like the charkha and community prayer he said the broom is the third major aspect of freedom that's the only way india will get freedom now there's aam aadmi party but when we did this there's mm-hmm. no aam aadmi party there was no swachh bharat mm-hmm. this is done before that So what I'm saying is that it kind of opened my eyes that okay I can take any one object in India which is a traditional object and I can you know kind of deconstruct it and I can get all this richness from that. So I realized wow one must look within India as well not just do commercial projects. Although this was a commercial project we got paid for it we had a client there was a right. exhibition. Right. So that would be one another one would be Sangam which is uh, the long form is uh, australia india design platform so this was commissioned by rmit university and australia arts council also government of australia had funded it this was in 2011 and uh, the idea of this project was um, again i somehow got it randomly uh, the project it was not i mean it was luck you know just being in the right place right time somehow the project landed to us but what was interesting about the project is is that uh, we were asked to create a logo design and a name so we came up with a name sangam mm-hmm. uh, long story short is it's about confluence basically it was a three year project 
in India and Australia looking at confluence between designers, artisans and the user. Mm-hmm. Since it was about confluence, I, I thought of the name Sangam because it's confluence of three rivers. Mm-hmm. And the Ganga representing the artisan because it's a long river, it is a long tradition. The Yamuna representing the designer because the Yamuna is a tributary of Ganga, mm-hmm. right? So designers are inspired some somehow by artisans, by craft, and then there is the user, which is the hidden river Saraswati, because mm-hmm. users are someone we don't initially take very seriously. We don't think that they will impact craft and design, but actually they do. If you don't, if the user doesn't buy your product in the end, so they were looking at e-commerce and craft at that time in 2011, where. A lot of these websites like Goonj and all did not even exist. Um, I thought it was very interesting and the biggest, I think, interest in terms of this project and how it has impacted the work we do in the studio is that uh, we decided, we just made this decision, okay, okay, we have to create a logo for something that is about design and craft rather than doing it in our studio. Like typically when we create a logo or a brand identity, we would do it in our studio in-house, right? right? But here we said it's craft based, so let's go to an artisan and let's collaborate with an Was artisan. Was that the first project you collaborated with an artisan? Maybe not studio? the first. We did a book cover called Skin Ink okay. where we worked with the, I don't know if you would call an artisan but like the Mehndi, uh, people who do Mehndi, so right. we did a right. book cover, we collaborated with that. That was before this but yes, this was in terms of impact it had was right. a big one. Um, so, so we created this, I won't get into the detail but ultimately we created a uh, Rabadi, Dhebadiya Rabadi embroidery. Mm-hmm. So working with a woman, Sajnu Ben in Kutch. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we created this banner and that became the logo which was used uh, on their website and various collaterals. But what it also um, made me interested in personally is to do more projects with craftspeople and also to look at impact, longer term impact right, rather right. than a one off. Right. So that led to another project which we can discuss later called the yeah. Typecraft Initiative. Yeah, so that, that's, uh, that is we'll a, come to the person. Yeah, we'll come to that later. Uh, as for a third project, um, it's very hard to say because you know, a lot of the commission projects which are even commercial are very interesting. Like uh, I enjoyed OzFest as well, mm-hmm. uh, which was a major festival of Australia and India. It was the largest festival ever. And so we, it was a tender. And we had to submit concepts. This was in 2012. So we are going chronologically also. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a bid. And so we won the bid. And basically, it was a nine month long project, one of the longest projects we have done. And uh, we uh, created the identity. We looked, and it was about India and Australia, which was the challenge at that time because what, what, are, what is common between these two cultures apart from cricket <laughs> and maybe Indian uh, English, you know, yeah. Commonwealth. Yeah. Right, but then we looked at Aboriginal culture and Indian uh, tribal cultures. That that has a lot in common. Yes, right. so that is what our identity is based on: this commonality of ancient cultures. Right. And uh, and then we had to create lots of collaterals. It was a very high-profile event. Prime Minister of Australia Julia Gillard was here for the inauguration, so you know we actually met her, and uh, you know so it was quite a big scale for right. the studio to do such a massive project. I don't know. I think we did over 200 collaterals in terms of ads, posters, website, mobile site, all sorts of things. It was in 15 cities over uh, six months, the project. So, so I would say that would be a good project. So among all of your projects created so far, one of the favorite projects of mine is Pardesi. So can you tell us more about that project? Sure. So basically this was a, a exhibition entitled Fracture, textile exhibition uh, hosted at uh, Devi Art Foundation. They were the ones who funded it and they hosted it in Gurgaon. Um, and I think about 15 to 20 designers were invited, so it was by invitation only, to pr- uh, submit a proposal. Uh-huh. And mostly textile designers, but they also invited some non-textile designers. So I was one of the non-textile designers invited to this. So the project relates to this idea of identity. Right. and. Um, uh, so one is on one hand you have a commune and we're looking at the Indian male. So Indian, you know, what is the identity of an Indian man? Right. So then I started thinking like as a man, what is my identity? You know, and so then I examined more and more deeper and I got interested in turbans because actually right. all Indian men at some point would be wearing turbans. You know, yeah. 
and coming uh, from a Sikh family again. Yeah, <laughs> but even in my family, sure. we would be wearing turbans in mm -hmm. Rajasthan. People, some pe men still wear turbans, but not even everyone. on occasions sometimes. Ah, I mean, like weddings, we wear turbans. Like yeah. I wear turban also, and but I, but on a regular basis, turbans in India gives the identity of the man, like what community that he belongs to, mm -hmm. what is the even the village, mm -hmm. you know, the pind or whatever the village they belong to. And sometimes even whether the man is married or not married, depending on how the turban is tied, etc. And so the turban, each turban has a different pattern, printing uh, color, you know, printing style or whatever, certain embellishments, tying style. So it's a very rich thing actually. It's a rich instrument which gives you a communal identity. It's about belonging. It's about you, you're part of this group, you're not part of that group, but you're part of this group. So it's identity. So someone sees that person, they know, ah, ye. This person is from this village, etc, etc. You don't have to even give your name. Mm -hmm. That's how it used to be. But today's age, what is happening is that we are, obviously, most Indians are giving up the turbans. Mm -hmm. And instead, we are adopting uh, branded garments, right? So, whether original garments or fake garments. So, some people cannot afford original brands like Nike or Puma, whatever the brands are, Lacoste. So, some people are like people who are coming from service class, they are buying these knockoffs, mm -hmm. fake brands. Right. So, what is it about this brand? Why is it so aspirational? And I, so, I started thinking about brands and even in brands, what is happening is that we are giving up our communal identity, which is the turban, but we are taking up these identities through cars, through clothes. Mm. So, if I drive an Audi or if I wear uh, whatever, Armani, I have a different yeah. status in society, whereas if I wear a fake Puma and I drive a scooter, I have a different status in society. Yeah, so yeah. brands are in fact creating our identity. In mm, fact, in class, uh, in my branding class, I do these exercises where you do a brand anatomy of yourself. Uh -huh. So you basically list all the brands you're wearing right. and all the brands you're holding, like right. in the phone or computer or the car. Mm. And then we compare it and we look at it. Okay, mm. You know, what does it say about your, your choices? Are these choices instinctive or are they coming from somewhere? Right. But anyway, going back to this Pardesi project, so it's called Pardesi the Turban Untied. Why the Turban Untied? Because nowadays the turban has no value to most people. Mm -hmm. These brands have become part of our uh, identity. But what I did here was I, I, I played with this idea of motifs and logos. So motif coming from textile and logo coming from these brands, western brands. And uh, what I did was I took these western brands their logos and made them into traditional textile motifs mm -hmm. which then we worked with uh, uh, two block printers uh, so we made them into blocks and we actually printed turbans right. pagdis hand with hand and these turbans were also uh, the cloth was hand dyed the cloth was made of khadi so i wanted to basically contrast it with mass production also right so the cloth is khadi the printing is done by hand the blocks are carved by hand the dyeing is also done by hand and uh, these motifs are, if you look at the motifs, at first glance, they look like any traditional Indian motif. Yeah, it took me a while to actually identify yeah. <laughs> that particular logo. But whereas, where, if you look at it carefully, there are actually Western logos hidden right. in those motifs. Right, right. So it was a subversion. So I like this idea of subverting something. So you think that ah, you're just looking at traditional Indian motifs, what is the big deal? Mm -hmm. But actually you're looking at logos, right. which are hidden into these motifs which have become so much a part of our culture now, these logos which you see everywhere, they are only defining identity. So yeah, that is what I was trying to say through those turbans. And they were also displayed untied. So they were displayed vertical. They were not tied. Initially the display, the curator said maybe we could tie the turban. Mm -hmm. But I said no one wears the turban anymore, so we leave it as untied. Yeah, and that is also a, a metaphor of unraveling of our culture. So we are yeah. losing something from our culture. We are losing the beauty of handmade and the patterns and we are going for mass production, we are going for uh, something which is very very universal, right? not Indian. And apart from your client work, you, your studio has created a lot of self-initiated projects as well. So in the year 2010, you started this new initiative called the Typecraft Project and the project aims at helping the dyeing crafts and tribal arts in, of India. And in that project, you have created typeface in collaboration with tribal artists. So, but why typefaces? Okay, so uh, basically, yeah, this initiative came out of the Sangam project where I said that earlier, it was a one-off exchange, you know. Mm -hmm. So, we did this logo for Sangam and then that was the end of the project and then I never met the artisan 
after that so i thought okay, can i do something where the benefit uh, to the artisan can be more long term and mo- and maybe we can do more projects with them right as time goes by so one idea was a digital typeface why typeface because well i mean i'm a graphic designer so i felt that that was the most natural way of interacting with uh, crafts people or tribal artists and so we only work so one of the things we only work with women tribal artists and women crafts people for this project mm-hmm. because there is a saying a lot of the ngos say that if you fund a rural woman she will take care of her family and kids but if you fund a man he will put it into alcohol so one of the mandates is to put it give it back to the women that is very important second is that we always try to acknowledge the artisan and and the craft person who we work with because we hope that maybe some other person will read the article or read about them and they will contact them directly which has happened okay right so they're getting work through our project they're getting you know some other person is contacting them but really the goal of this project is that we create interesting typefaces from our culture from from things that are disappearing yeah. a lot of these crafts and tribal arts are going to disappear so in a way it's an archive in yeah. a way we are innovating the craft form because usually craft is either done as textile or is done as yeah. tattoo on skin but we are innovating into a new medium of digital uh, yeah, the right. digital medium since it is a typeface in most cases we are doing latin script although we are now also looking at indic scripts because it's latin script anyone anywhere in the world can use it and understand it and enjoy it and also appreciate the culture behind it and the meaning behind it um also through the sales like once we have enough sales so we always pay the artisans up front whatever their fees are mm-hmm. and any cost travel all that of course but also their fees they are paid up front and then the sale of the typeface is used to basically cover the costs initially mm-hmm. once our costs are covered we then put the rest of the money as the profits or as the money comes in into more projects with the same groups right that is the goal so we have not yet reached that stage we are hoping for more sales to happen more people to yeah, buy into it i'll i'll leave a link to the typeface in yes, this please. podcast section So that's the goal of the project, and we have do, done uh, there are two functional typefaces right now already available uh, on uh, typecraftinitiative.org, which is Godna, which is done with tattoo type tattoo artisans from uh, Chhattisgarh, and Chitara, which is done with uh, uh, Radha Sulur from Karnataka, and so okay. that is a uh, they are from the Devaru community, mm-hmm. and we are currently working on a Gujarati typeface, which will become a functional typeface hopefully uh, from. uh soda rajput community in kutch okay uh, called pakko the embroidery is called pakko that uh, art form yeah that right. is the name of their embroidery and a lot of designers talk about collaborating with craft people and indigenous artists and a lot of times the beneficiary of that collaboration ends up being designer herself mm. right mm. so but Correct. i mean what are the things that you would suggest uh, other designers while approaching such projects which they should take care of okay so i think the main thing is to treat artisans and uh, tribal artists with respect you know what happens typically is that uh, uh, we we designers think that we educated we're going to a village you know these people are you know less exposed maybe not educated not literate in some cases people are not literate but that doesn't mean they're not knowledgeable they have a huge knowledge resource which you know is part of their tradition they know a lot of things that we don't know they have a lot of skills that we don't have so we have to change our attitude when we go to a village or a you know what we think is a poorer in quotes community mm-hmm. that is the starting point second is that we have to explain to them why are we engaging with them what is the goal of this project we have to be very authentic and open and transparent with mm-hmm. with them because uh, that is about respect ultimately so that's why one of the things which we are insistent on is always put the name of the artisans like when we always put the team mm-hmm. of the type like the typeface we create artisans are like the most important because ultimately the motives and the designs that come out, come into the typefaces come from them and when we do the workshops also we try to do it as egalitarianly as possible in all cases see it's, it's a case by case thing it's not a blanket statement ke we work with Uh, artisan in Karnataka, then the same rules will apply to artisan in Chhattisgarh. You have to look at their situation, their exposure level, and how to treat them. You know, in terms of speed. Sometimes you have to do it very slowly over a long time, 
you have to introduce them to what is this what are we actually doing start with things that they're comfortable with which is their own motifs so that's what we did with godna we started with their motifs then we got into type type design later ultimately they should be happy doing it it shouldn't be something like which is a chore or a pain for them or a difficult situation right 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 so all these things you have to consider basically respect ultimately that is what it's about so in your social media presence you talk about and showcase a lot of spontaneous acts of creation by people not trained in design so what is it about non designers that they bring to the table in comparison to designers i'm not sure about the term non designer uh i think design is such a fundamental aspect of human behavior that we all have it somewhere mm. uh yes of course some of us get trained to think like a designer so that we call them designers but i think even people who are untrained in design have it somewhere because it's a very i i think design is a very fundamental behavior almost like uh, walking or mathematics you know even if you don't know mathematics you will know how to do addition if you're doing business if you're an entrepreneur you may not have gone to college or school so design is something like that it is a innate aspect which comes in when needed and so what i'm interested in is the informal economy and just how people behave outside you know so india is becoming more corporatized uh, as time goes by but the real india is still very spontaneous it still lives in the small towns and the villages and the bazaars and you see it on the highways also how people do different things you know so the things you will not see in the west how people are carrying more load on trucks or you know people on a bike with 10 people or an auto stuffed with people so people are basically it's a system which is under a lot of pressure right so it looks funny from the outside but actually there is a more serious underlying current which i'm interested in one is i'm interested in the behavior why are people behaving in certain ways so i have photograph of this guy who was hugging a auto on a highway because inside it's pura bhara hua hai it's filled with people mm-hmm. there's no space and probably he doesn't have money to sit inside but he has to go from a to b mm-hmm. so he still climbs on the auto he takes a risk of being outside mm-hmm. but he spends less money and uh, that is because he doesn't it's about poverty it's about lack of resources but it's also about a system that is refusing to break down people have this very strong a desire in india that nahi mujhe kaam karna hai i have to do the work i have to get from a to b i have to feed my family i have to do whatever right so this this is part of our because of the strong family system people are trying to do their best there is learnings for design from that uh, that sort of behavior so that i am interested in something which is very spontaneous uh, because of that so it can be in bazaars also it can be on the streets also it can be anywhere but one has to almost think like a anthropologist look at people how right. they're acting behaving and also question why do why are they doing these things is it you know is it because of you know risk taking no it's actually much more than that it is about survival ultimately so a lot of uh, young designers that i talk to a lot of them want to work with you at some point in their career and uh, they would like to join your team as well at Ishan Kosla Design so what does it take to be a part of your team what are you looking for so i'm so we have a very small team and uh, we want to keep it that way also uh, to be part of the team you need to actually be firstly a thinker you know we we'll, we're looking for people who can have independent thoughts independent ideas um, that is very important and a team player someone who can work with other people very well uh you know work on their own also individually individually be a good thinker but also be able to work in a team situation and sometimes in design you have to compromise that means like compromise in terms like client is not happy with something so you you may have to give up your ego or your authorship because of certain situations either the either i don't think it's working or someone in the team doesn't think it's working or the client doesn't think that can happen so how do you compromise in those situations uh but ultimately someone who is also passionate about design and also a lot of the work we do is very research oriented that means we read a lot we we try to get into the meaning behind certain things it's not just superficial it as i said the depth and authenticity is very important so as a person you need to have that depth and interest interest in the world interest in humanity ultimately design is about humans and is it difficult to find those kind of people yeah i think it's the work we do is very challenging for a lot of people it's not mainstream design 
because we do projects that are very diverse in nature. Uh, not in terms of just the clients we do it for, like big clients, small clients, whatever, different industries, but also self-initiated projects, uh, introspective projects, looking at the country, looking at various aspects of India. So I think that can be challenging for a lot of designers. Uh, as far as, sorry, what was your question? I, uh, so, I mean, is it hard to find those kind of people that you mentioned? It's not so much about that. I mean, yes, partially it is hard just to look at a portfolio and say if this person is going to be like for me, that's not enough. I need to meet the person and have a conversation with the right. person to understand if they will be a good fit. That is one. Second is that as I said, the team is small. So we're not always hiring, uh, okay. you know, so we are keeping it very small so that we can do certain projects. It's, you know, and it's a conscious decision. Yeah. Ishan, thanks for being on the podcast. It was a pleasure. Thank you. To you. Thank you, Kavar. Likewise. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you find conversations like this valuable and want to help me bring you more content like this, there are many ways you can support this podcast. You can leave a review on the platform you're listening to this podcast on. You can tell a friend about it, or you can also share this podcast on social media. You can also extend a financial support. To know more about that, visit designthisway.com. Please know that I really appreciate your support. And uh, if you have any comments, feedback, suggestion, feel free to get in touch with me on social media or email. You can get my email and social media links uh, on my website www.kaval.co. In my next episode, I have another interesting guest for you. So see you soon.